Hello and welcome to the first episode of the War Films podcast. And this is a follow-up to a podcast we did a couple of years ago, um, maybe more than that now, I can't remember, yeah. and which was the Adventure Films podcast, where I chose ten adventure films and we discussed each one in some detail. And uh, that was going to be a one-off thing, really. It was designed just as a one-off project. But I started getting the bug, because I enjoyed it, to do another one. So I got in touch with Murray, my brother, who I did the podcast with. Um, we looked for an, another subject. Uh, now, Murray, I thought um, you might choose, cause I, because I chose adventure films, mm. I sort of gave you the casting vote. Yeah. And I was convinced you might choose either science fiction or horror. <laughs> But you you decided on war. Yeah, I chose war films because I they were sort of they were the sort of film I watched a lot as a kid, just because they'd be on TV. Yeah, and then I sort of went off them, just cause I thought, oh, it's all sorts of all sort of uh, macho, <laughs> you know, teeth gritting, yeah. machine guns going. I thought, oh, it's yeah, you know, and I don't agree with war anyway. I thought, but then I recently I've been thinking I've I've seen a few more sort of a second time. Thinking, knowing a bit more about history, knowing that sort of war is not exactly a black and white thing. You can't just be against war, I don't think. Yeah. It's something that happens anyway. And seeing that these films have a lot more levels than just action and explosions, yes. I wanted to start seeing them again. So I thought it would be great to revisit ten classics. Yes. Yes, that's good. And uh, now I um, was quite pleased you chose war films because... <laughs> as Especially as a kid, I was very much into war. In fact, I was slightly obsessed with war themes um, until I saw Star Wars in 1977. And although the war interest continued, it was mostly obliterated by science fiction. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'd have been happy with science fiction, horror and all that as well. But um, I also... I mean, I, I, I think I might have put war and martial arts as possible others. Mm. Um, so I was quite pleased you chose war because I do have a lot of war films in my collection anyway but again it's not something like adventure films i'm really into and have read around and know a fair bit about some of them yeah war films are just something i put on and enjoy as you said in a kind of a brainless way <laughs> and not really thought about yeah they're more for entertainment yeah i think neither of us is an expert on the historical aspects of these films no no not really yeah. okay now so we've chosen 10 films or well really i chose well, we chose them together, but yeah. I I um, put forward the films just because I've got them in my collection. Yeah. I, mean, I had to buy a couple that I didn't actually own. There were lots, lots of war films I wanted to put in, and I had to leave some out, but, you know, we want to keep it to ten. So, I think, now, the last one was adventure films, and that was very difficult to define as a genre. And war films mm. are really a subset of the adventure film, and I think especially this first one yeah. we're going to look at, The Guns of Navarone, it's very much described as an adventure film. Yes, yeah. So, uh, yes, yeah, so the first one we're going to do is The Guns of Navarone. And perhaps we should just introduce ourselves first for people who didn't listen to the uh, to us before. Um, I'm Garen Ewing, and I'm an author and illustrator. I, I do an adventure comic called The Adventures of Julius Chancer. Um, the first one in that series was The Rainbow Orchid. Um, and I'm doing these podcasts with my brother Murray... I'm Murray. Um, I write. I do a bit of music. I did the theme to this podcast, and I've got a, a blog called Musings. Right, there will be links on the blog entry. Okay, so should we dive straight into our first Might film? Might as well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the Guns of Navarone. 
So this, just to give the basics of this film, it came out in... 1961. From Columbia Pictures. It's based on a novel by Alistair MacLean, which was written in 1957. Directed by J. Lee Thompson, although he was a last-minute... Yeah, um, he replaced the existing director who they'd started the project with. Yeah, Alexander McKendrick. And I don't actually know why he left. In fact, I'm not sure people... Didn't he injure his back... I think yeah. something like that. Um, there was an interview with Anthony Quinn, and he said something about he had they had some shoot a day of shooting, and there was a boat out at sea. He said fifteen miles away, which seems a bit excessive. But <laughs> um, and the director said, "Can you radio to them to tell them to move the boat three inches to the left?" And they thought this isn't going to work. But I think that sounds a little bit oh, right. <laughs> exaggerated. So yes, um, J. Lee Thompson came in with just. I think he only had two weeks preparation. Mm. And had you seen The Guns of Navarone before? It was one of those films that I remember seeing on Saturday afternoons. Yeah. And perhaps I might have never seen the beginning. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's one of those ones you start watching, you think, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll watch it for a yeah, bit. Yeah, um, and get into it. I certainly didn't remember it being as long as it was, because it's <laughs> two and a half hours long. Right. quite long. Yes. But, yeah, so there were points, quite key points in the plot, where I didn't know what was going to happen next, which is quite... Yeah, but apart from that, I do. I definitely have seen it before. And did you enjoy it? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I did think it was slightly long, but more at the beginning. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll go through the plot. But yeah. I thought, you know, like they could have got the action quicker. <laughs> yes. By the way, there will be spoilers. So if you haven't seen this film and you want to see it, uh, stop listening now because we're we're going to be talking about every aspect of the plot. Yes. So um, there will. This isn't. This is not a spoiler-free zone. Yeah, I'd seen The Guns of Navarone a few times, and I already owned it on disc, so mm. I'd seen it, but never really analysed the film particularly much. I just enjoyed yeah. it as a, an adventure film. And the length... I know the director, J. Lee Thompson, did say that he wished, if he was making the film again, he would tighten it up a bit right. and make it a bit shorter. And and the other thing is, war films tend to be quite epic and long. I think. Yes, I mean, probably the war in this... itself was epic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So quite a few of the films in this in in this ten are, are long ones. I think. Yeah. But uh, I I really like the film. I chose Guns of Navarone, but vying for its place were two others that I, and I chose Guns of Navarone over the others. They they're kind of in the same category. Yeah. One is Ill Met by Moonlight, which I really like. Right. Have you ever seen that one? No. It's a Paul and Pressburger film, and that's also in the Aegean oh, right. um, theatre of war, if you like. Yeah. It's set on Crete, actually. And then the other one, actually, was Where Eagles Dare, right. which I, we're not doing. Um, which is another Alistair MacLean. It's another, another Alistair MacLean, and was very popular. Another sort of all-out action film. But very similar to Guns of Navarone and Ill Met by Moonlight in a way, in that the basic idea is you've got a group of experts mm. going into enemy territory um, with a mission. Yeah. So in Ill Met by Moonlight, you've got Dirk Bogard, he's going into Crete um, with some other commandos, the SOE, and they're going to kidnap a German general oh, right. and they, they take get him off the island. And in fact, that was based on true story which is amazing and in Where Eagles Dare which was made in 1968 I think was uh, which is the other Alistair MacLean and is fictional Um, that's about a group of commandos going in to rescue um, a top British general who's been taken by the Germans (laughs) right 
Now, The Guns of Navarone is about a group of commandos who go into this... This is fictional. Mm. Uh, it's not It's not based on a real thing, although it's the, the backdrop is, of course, a, oh, a real yeah. setting. They're going in to destroy these huge guns. Yeah, these guns are, are on the fictional island of Navarone. Well, what's happened is, I think it's 2,000 British soldiers have been stranded on an island called Kiros. Yes. And they need to be rescued in a couple of days, but the thing that's stopping ships from getting to them is these huge guns placed on the island of Navarone, which will destroy any ship that goes past them. Yeah. So the only way these 2,000 soldiers can get rescued is if the guns are disabled. And the only way these... As this film starts, there's, there's been a um, an attempt to disable them by military force, and that yeah. hasn't happened. In fact, as a lot of these films, it opens with... The sort of briefing room scene, yes, <laughs> <laughs> which I I, th- I think probably is in every almost every one of these war films. It's it's got that. That's one thing I'm looking forward to in this series is is identifying <laughs> the things which happen yes. in all the films. You the, know the tropes. Yeah, yeah. So we've got um, a cameo by Richard Harris, actually, yes, who plays an Australian, an Australian, <laughs> yeah. an Australian with a very British <laughs> British stage accent. <laughs> yeah, well, he can be Australian with a <laughs> British accent, of course, but yeah. um, he's quite funny because he's got that. Bloody, yeah, which is the, the bloody only, guns or the bloody bloody. <laughs> the only scene that was uh, censored in this. Oh right, they actually recorded uh, another one with ruddy instead of bloody. Okay, which actually I thought sounded more Australian. I don't know, but uh, yeah. they thought that some. <laughs> I think he said some of the more outlying towns in rural England might object to bloody. <laughs> so many bloodies. Right. <laughs> there were quite a few, and it, it did stand mm. out actually. I thought, oh, yeah. Uh, even even in this day and age. You've got that bloody old fortress on top of that bloody cliff. Then you've got the bloody cliff overhang. You can't even see the bloody cave, not alone the bloody guns. And anyway, we haven't got a bloody bomb big enough to smash that bloody rock. And that's the bloody truth, sir. Yes, yeah, so they've tried and failed and lost quite a few men. And they, you know, Richard Harris questions whether it's worth it and that he, whoever came up with this plan they'd like to throw him out of an aircraft or something. Yes. <laughs> and of course the person who came up with the plan is James Robertson Justice. Yes. Who um is known for suddenly I may mainly remember him as a kid in being the in the Doctor films. Doctor on the House and <laughs> yes. you know, he was the sort of zoo matron senior surgeon. Yeah, he? so comedy yeah, yeah the senior surgeon. But he plays in this he's the narrator and he's the mastermind behind the plan. Mm. So he brings in Gregory Peck. Yes. Who's the main, who's the lead really, isn't yeah. he? Although there's, there's a very strong cast in this film. Gregory Peck leads and he's playing Captain Keith Mallory, the human fly, yeah. who's an expert mountaineer because the only way to get onto Navarone, if you're not going by you know, aircraft, is to climb these formidable cliffs to get yeah. on. So they need someone who can do that. And I did wonder if, He's called Keith Mallory, if that's a nod to George Mallory. Is it George Mallory who, oh, who um, climbed Everest? Oh, right. And went missing in 1924. Oh. I do uh, recognise He made uh, several attempts on Everest and he went missing. I think his body was found in the late 90s. Oh, right. 75 odd years after. Yeah. But th- there may mm. be a sort of just for the audience to make a connection with him being a mountaineer. Yeah. Basically, this film is... of. They assemble a cast of oddball experts yeah. who don't quite fit together and there's tension between them and they have to go on an impossible mission. Yeah. This seems to be quite a common yes. theme. But apparently yeah. this wasn't too common um, 
before this. So this was one of the first. Yeah, I was trying to think. I mean, obviously, the Seven Samurai comes to mind. Yeah, which, um, yeah. When was that? Um, that was. I don't. I don't know off the top of my head. It was fifties. Right. So it was 54, before this. 1954, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I'll. 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 I'll um, correct that in the notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Should we go through the cast then? It's, yes, it's yeah, a very cast. strong cast. So we've got Gregory Peck. Now he's famous for. Well, he was in Spellbound. Was he in other Hitchcocks or just Spellbound? Um, I can't remember off the top of my head. The one I think of him being in is To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, he, in fact, he won an Oscar for that. Mm. That if that was the following year. Oh, right. So he hadn't yeah. he hadn't had that yet, but he was already a famous actor. Yeah. Um, and he was in Cape Fear. Which was also sixty two. Oh right. And he was also in the nineteen ninety one version of that. Oh right. Uh he was in another war film which I didn't consider for our list, but I really enjoy. Um yeah. uh which is The Boys from Brazil. Oh right. Have you seen that one? Yes. Uh which of course is where they've they've sort of got hit they yeah. make little Hitler claims. Yes, yeah. That is that's fantastic. Ira Levin novel or something, isn't it? Right. And it's got uh I was going to say Olivia Newton-John, uh, Lawrence Olivier. <laughs> Get the right Olivier. They're easily mixed up. <laughs> yes. Okay. So Gregory Peck. Now the other main character is David Niven. What well, I must say, one of the things, the joys of watching these films is you get to see these brilliant actors in in mm. in, in uh, so many roles. Um, yeah. David well, he Niven. plays Corporal Miller, who's a professor of explosives or something. Yes. He, he is a professor and he's yeah. an explosives expert. You've got to have your explosives expert. Someone with a sense of humour. Yeah, he brings he brings two things to this film really. One is humour. Yeah. Although there's humour in other parts as well, but and the other thing is he's kind of the voice of morality. Is yeah. Questioning. Yes. Although yeah. he forces the well, not really the others, but Gregory Peck, Mallory, mm. to question as well. Yeah. Although maybe he's already a little bit yeah. jaded about the war. I think he looks as though he is. Now, one thing I thought about David Niven's character is the sort of. He's not. He's a soldier, but he doesn't quite obey the rules and so on. Mm. Is that in most films that would be an American role? Or right. Most, you know, if you've got a British cast, you'd have the American cast as the person who isn't, yeah. you know, who doesn't obey the rules and is. But here we've got almost the opposite: a sort of slightly upper class Englishman yes. who's the one who doesn't obey the rules. Yeah, you know? yeah, it works very nicely. Yeah. Is this? I'm confused as to whether this is a British film or an American film. It was made in Britain. That's that's yeah. why I'm thinking of it. But of course, the, um, it was the Columbia producer, Pictures, which was an American, yeah, yeah. The producer who's sort of identified as the main creative force behind it, is yeah. American. Yeah. Although he was apparently blacklisted for a while. Um, this is Carl Foreman. Carl Foreman, yeah, uh, he was blacklisted for a while in the McCarthy era. Yeah. Now he was a writer as well, and I think he want oh. he was a director and wanted to direct this film. Yeah. But I um, can't remember why he didn't. Of course, there was an era when the producer was the sort of author of the film. Yes. Do you think of those early ones, you know, MGM, like Gone with the Wind? Uh, but then, of course, as you got to the end of the 60s, it was the director who was considered like the author of the film. Yeah. So you'd have people of Foreman's generation thinking, this is my film. Yes. It'll do, you know. And it is, Carl Foreman is the more prominent name associated with the Guns of Navarone more than J. Lee Thompson. Yeah. Carl Foreman wrote High Noon yes. in 50... That was 52. He also... Another film we're going to do is The Bridge on the River Kwai, and he was a screenplay for that. Oh, right. Did screenplay for that yeah. with Michael Wilson. Those are probably the two, uh, well, along with the Guns of Navarone, High Noon, Bridge on the River Kwai are the two really big ones. 
David Niven is interesting because he was actually a commando in World War Two. Yes, yeah. There's him um, and Anthony Quinn, isn't there? Yeah. Are the two people who particularly were known as having dangerous war roles. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, uh, but David Niven famously didn't really speak much. Yeah. About, but one amusing thing he did say was to his men was during the war, was, "Come on, let's go." You know, don't worry. I'm paraphrasing heavily. <laughs> <laughs> don't you know, don't worry about this. You only do have to do this once, but I'm going to have to play this role on, on the screen loads of times. <laughs> <laughs> Repeat it on the screen loads of other times. So, um, and I, he wears a beret in an early scene in this film, and I think his cap badge yes. is is what his actual um, regiment, regiment was. Yeah. Which, and I looked at it, and I think it's the Highland Light Infantry, which oh, right. he was in yeah. before he became a commando. Yeah. Now, David Niven was in... Well, he was in... Now, th- this is another big war film that a lot of people say is their favourite. He was in A, a Matter of Life and Death. Oh, oh, yes, yeah, I've seen that. Now, I saw, I've heard so much about that, and I saw it, and you know, I wouldn't have included it in my top ten. Yeah. Oh, it's not. It's not. Maybe it wouldn't have fitted our criteria anyway, because we're really going for war films in the thick of actual A- war. Actual war films, yeah. Um, Matter of Life and <clears throat> Death is. I mean, it's a good film. Mm. Um, perhaps it's a little bit too. Although it stays away from any particular religion, it's it's a bit religious and spiritual. Yeah, yeah. I seem to remember it's, it involves. I've seen it listed in fantasy films yes. you know, at the time. It's yeah, sort of an afterlife type fantasy. Yeah. So I wouldn't have included it. It's not. I, I. I'm not as impressed as some people are. Although no. I do recognise it's a. It's a good film. Yeah. He was in Around the World in Eighty Days, which I, I think we could have possibly included in our adventure films. Oh yeah. Thing. Yeah. He was in the Pink Panther films. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> Interestingly, now he played James Bond in the 1967 Casino Royale. Oh. And I read. Uh, I read that Ian Fleming actually wanted David Niven for Doctor No. Uh, sorry, in, as Bond in Doctor No. Oh, right. And also that he thought of him when he was writing the books. Yeah. But I've also read that he wanted an actor called Richard Todd yeah. in the role. So there I'm are not a few. Sure. In fact, once Ian Fleming saw um, Sean Connery in the role, he yeah. decided he was so right that he actually included in the books that Sean... that. James Bond was born in Scotland. Oh, okay, that came after (laughs) Connery did it. That's interesting. Yeah, Yeah, so that's David Niven. And and Niven and Peck are really the the two most Uh, interesting characters. And they're very much opposites, because Peck is really taciturn. Mm. You know, you can see he's thought through things, but he doesn't actually let anyone else know. He assumes command, Yes. and he doesn't say much, or he doesn't even express much emotion, where Niven is a lot more... Quirpy, quirky. Yeah. <laughs> what is the word? Quippy. That's the word. Right. <laughs> he makes yeah. quips. I like quirpy. <laughs> yeah. It mixes. Makes the two. quirky quips. He's yeah. quirpy. Yeah. So he's the sort of he's the sort of person who you need in every regiment, yeah. but you couldn't. He couldn't lead a regiment because right. it would fall apart without yeah. him. And in fact, I think that's why well, he doesn't things. have enough respect for authority. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. But he's sort of testing the authority. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So the, the next main... There's really three stars in the film. The mm. next one is Anthony Quinn. Yes. Colonel Andreas Stavros. Yes. Or is it Stavro? Um, um, although, and then he looks... I've got Andrea. <laughs> okay, we'll call him Andrea. Um, he looks very Greek. He inhabits yeah. that role very well, but he's actually Mexican. Yeah, because he, he, he also played Zorba the Greek in yes. the film with the same name. Yeah. And so a lot was, of people uh, thought he was Greek, but... <laughs> And he was in Lawrence of Arabia, which we talked about in the Adventure uh, Film yes, Podcast. Yes, yes. And we have another 
Lawrence of Arabia person in, in the form of Anthony Quayle. Major Franklin, yes. yes. Yeah, who's the other sort of person who's in charge of the mission at first. Anthony Quayle was in another war film <laughs> that could have been on this list, which is Ice Cold in Alex. So, oh, right, yeah. Which uh, I remember which I think, for the beer advert. Now, was that also J... Yeah, J. Lee Thompson directed that one as well. Oh, yeah. That was 1958, so that was before. So they'd worked together before. Stanley Baker plays the butcher of Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> with a con- No, with a... Not with a yeah, conscience, but with a... sick of killing, yeah, basically, yeah. He's a knife expert. Yeah. <laughs> he's, the, he's the engineer and a knife expert. Now, he apparently wasn't well-known to American audiences, but, of course, he's quite a well-known British. Yeah. Um, and he's got another connection with one of the films we're going to cover yes. in this series, which is Zulu. Yeah. Because he was the producer... Yes. And also he, he had a role in Zulu. Yes, yeah, yeah, main role along with Michael Caine. So we'll be talking about Zulu as one of our films. And that's really the one that brought Stanley Baker to superstardom. Oh, right. Zulu was 64, so just three years after Guns of Navarone. Mm. And just another Doctor No connection. Apparently he turned down the role of Bond in Doctor No. Yes. So, <laughs> um, Nobody wanted it. No. And the uh, weird thing is, I think, that this film quite <laughs> reminds me of James Bond. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Doctor No was the next year. Right. Uh, but, yeah. you know, the whole thing of having a series of action sequences ending in a, an underground base being blown yeah, up, yeah. it's very much, you know... Yes. Of course, Alistair MacLean was writing... He wrote after uh, Casino. This this novel was written after Casino Royale. Yeah. So I wonder if there was some sort of back-and-forth influence between the yeah. books and the films. Well, I guess, I guess there's a style of the time, perhaps, mm. and things that are popular, um, but, yeah... But also, I mean, one of the things that, looking back at film history, particularly films you're sort of familiar with, like this, is you find, oh, actually, that was the first film that did this. Yes. Because apparently this, um, there's a few things that it did. Um, It was one of the first films to actually depict the war, but a fictional episode from the war, apparently. right. A lot of them before only were very true to actual missions or were vague. Yes. Uh, but this I wonder one, if why that is. Was there some kind of taboo against fictionalising something that was still a very real yes. event that people were involved in? Mm. If you start turning it into a fictional... Well, that's one of the uh, things. Because re- yeah. the real films, like Ill Met in Moonlight, are, are kind of a tribute. Still. Yes, yeah. Whereas this is suddenly now... I mean, I don't know if it trivialises it. Yeah. Well, I guess there's a, a point where you start... where. First of all, you have to be very much uh, respectful of the people who died and who um, yeah. were involved and you know, injured in in the conflict. And then a point comes where <laughs> you start treating it more as a sort of myth you can yes. address and yeah. you know, use. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say respect for unless they're Germans in the case <laughs> of uh, especially Alistair McLean, but <laughs> generally, uh, right. So Stanley Baker, then the the next was James Darren, who's yes. the youngest member of the cast. Yeah. Um, who almost, I mean, you sort of feel, I sort of felt as though he could have been not there, apart from the occasional... Yes, that's true, I suppose, yeah. I um, mean, his role was basically to be young, yeah. and then he was the sister of someone they meet, and With then the at the brother, end he dies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, well, he plays Spiros Papadimos. Yes. So he's Greek, but he's been living in America. Yeah. Um, and trained American, and yes, as you say, he's the brother of Maria Papadimos, who's a resistance fighter. Resistance fighter. Uh, James Darren was mainly known as a teen idol singer. Yeah, pop, S- I pop looked, star. Yeah, yeah, I didn't recognise any of the the songs he sung. No, um, 
So and Navarone was attempt to change his image yeah. to start getting into films and stuff. And but gonna... really, this was the biggest thing. Yeah. He did even that, even since then. But you know, there's one other role that both you and I will have known him from. Yeah. But I was surprised to find he was in TV. He was in the Time Tunnel. Yes. <laughs> I'd forgotten that until I read it and thought, yeah. oh yeah, I recognised yeah. him from it. Um, and he was also in T.J. Hooker. <laughs> oh right. <laughs> in the 1980s. So playing his sister is Irene Pappas, who was also a singer, actually. Oh, right. And there's there's two female roles in this film, which I, I don't think were in the book. Mm, so yes, they were added. Yeah. In fact, perhaps we should say the book was very much an action, yeah. action story, lots of killing, not you know, pretty black and white. Yes. Um, I don't think the, the female characters were in it, so they were added. And really, Carl Foreman... Did make the story a lot more interesting. Mm. Quite often, you hear, "Oh, the book was better than the film." Yeah. I think this might be a case of the film being a lot better than the book. Although the book was very popular anyway. Yeah. So but I think Alistair MacLean is known. He said he said that he just wanted to get to the action, and he yeah. thought things like romance just stood in the way. Yeah. Although he did change later in his career, he started, oh. and in fact, there was a follow-up. Perhaps we'll talk a little bit at the end, but Force Ten from Neverone, which yeah. was a follow-up. Um, I. I get. I haven't seen it, and I haven't read the book. But from what I've read, I get the impression that the book was a little bit more, uh, you know, shades of grey than the film. So the film. Well, apparently, it. Force Ten from Never Own, the novel was more a sequel to the film. Yes. Than his own novel. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, just going back to Irene Pappas, I think she's a very good character, actually. Mm. Uh, yeah, we've talked about in the adventure films podcast quite often the. Women are, are not a strong force in these yeah. kind of films. Um, yeah. They're not in the adventure films. Rarely they are. So there yes. are they are the occasional ones, like there was in Hidden Fortress and stuff. And in war films, you're going to see them even less. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, The Guns Never Own has got two good female roles, especially uh, Maria Papadimos. She's tough. She's... I mean, not that... That's, that's one thing I was thinking. I was thinking a strong female role shouldn't be, oh, she's tough, oh, therefore she's a strong yeah. female role. That's she's tough too... without being bitter. You know, she's not like a... Um... And she's not She's not a female... She's not a man in the body of a woman. Yes, which yeah. is, a lot of people say, oh, I've made a tough female character, but actually she's just a man yeah. <laughs> with you know, more wobbly bits. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I think she's a really good character. Yes, she, she, yeah. she takes a, a role in it. She's mm. not there for romantic interest. Yeah. I mean, and nor is Gia Scala, actually, the other one. Yeah. So, yeah, Gia Scala is, plays Anna. She is the sort of young, attractive role of the film, you know, mm. to add a bit of glamour. Because, I mean, certainly she keeps her lipstick on all the way through. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, her hair's cut short like a man. So I think the first time we see her, we think she's a man. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, and then they turn, you know, she gets knocked out. They turn her over and it turns out... She's this beautiful woman. But she was quite a tragic character. She um, yes. attempt, she'd attempted suicide before this film already mm. and actually died of an overdose in 1972. Um, yeah. She was only 38. So uh, being aware of that, watching it, it's, yeah, it you can't help thinking She plays it. an emotionally damaged character. Mm. Yeah. This is yeah. one thing I've noticed, another thing I've noticed about watching films. I quite often, if I watch a film, I go to the Wikipedia page just to check out. Yeah. And, you know, quite old films you can see, oh, what happened to that actor yes. or actress? And then you think, oh, God, what a tragic life <laughs> followed. But, of course, you're seeing it compressed. Yes, yeah. Everyone dies, so... Yeah. Um, and, but yeah. it, it does add something to watching the film. Indeed, yeah. 
Um, so we've already talked about James Robertson Justice. I mean, those are all. That's the main cast now. James Robertson Justice. Uh, we talked about Richard Harris. Now, I, I you probably saw this, but and I didn't see him in the film. But Peter Grant, the manager of Led Zeppelin, has a oh, small role. I remember that. Yeah, I didn't see it. <laughs> I won't do my Peter Grant impression because it involves a lot of swearing. <laughs> <laughs> but he played a commando in it. Um, um, I don't right. know where, but I, if I see it again, I'm going to look out for him. Yeah. Of course, he's probably a lot thinner than he yes. ended up <laughs> being. I think. I think we'll leave that cast. Let's get on to the film. Yes. Well, some of the others we'll talk about, like the Germans, we'll get up to as we come. Oh, so yes. let's 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 get going. So we've talked about the beginning of the film. Yeah. The setup. Now, really, the first thing they do is they all gather. They get and they they get a boat. Yes. Um, should we skip to that yeah, bit? So yeah. I mean, it's it's good. That's probably probably about twenty minutes in now. They've got this ramshackle old boat <laughs> because they obviously need to. They disguise themselves as Greek fishermen, really. Yes, yeah. And they need to get to the island. And there's this was another thing about this film. There's a lot of location shooting, which I think was was not done yeah. so often. Yeah, that's another first I heard about it. Actually. So yeah. this this was filmed on Rhodes, mm-hmm. the island of Rhodes, and and then at Shepperton Studios in London yeah. were the two main areas so uh, a lot of this uh, sea stuff and um, they get spotted by a German spotter plane yeah. and then a German the inevitable German, German patrol ship yeah. yeah comes along now one thing about this because it was filmed in Rhodes as you say they actually went to the Greek authorities and got a lot of help in fact most of the Germans you see and most of the hardware is actually Greek army yes a lot of that actually is American Yes, surplus yeah, salt to the Greek army. <laughs> so it's, it's probably the wrong type. I don't know. Yeah, but there is I got st- that impression that because a lot of films, they want to get things right. Yeah, in technical. I think we might talk about some of the other films later. I, I, I mean, I don't know a lot about the equipment, but apparently this they didn't really hide it. It's, it's American yeah. jeeps and tanks and and ships. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I don't know if you've heard this anecdote, but of course at the at the end, well, first of all, the German patrol boat comes along and stops them and they've got to pretend to be Greek fishermen yeah. who don't speak German or, or English. Actually the Germans address them in English, don't they? Yes. Think, um, no, in fact in fact we need to go back a bit because yeah. that's one thing they discuss later. They say, Did you notice he spoke to us in English? Yeah. Which makes them think that's the first sign of perhaps some there's an informant. Oh right. But of course there isn't yet, but we need to go back because there is a scene and quite an important scene where they all gather together in a room yeah. and they're discussing the plan. Oh, yes, yeah, of course. And <laughs> Anthony Quinn, I think, notices someone at the door. Yes. And he writes a little message that says, you know, keep, keep, talking. keep talking. And then he opens the door and there's this yeah. laundry boy. Yes, yeah. And um, my, my fantastic fact about this laundry boy, <laughs> perhaps you know, is... Uh, he's played by Tutti Lemkow, if I pronounce that correctly, and I love this. He played. A ro- he had a role in the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Did you know that? <laughs> I recognised him, and I was thinking <laughs> I've seen him in something, but I couldn't remember what. I mean, obviously that was a lot later, so he was a lot older. But the scene where um, Indy has the yes. head of Ra, the head, the, the the head of the staff of Ra, yeah, the headpiece. Yeah. He's the one who translates it. Um, and then he says, but on the other side, yes. which the Germans don't have. Uh, now, so uh, that's him. <laughs> for some reason, I'm picturing him as Rasputin, but I can't think oh, why. <laughs> he is a bit Rasputin-like. So anyway, there's a scene where a British officer comes in and says, mm. you know, you can't, you can't 
Yeah. Um, tell me to put him in prison. Um, yeah. yeah. Who do you think you are? And he looks to Gregory Peck for help, and Gregory Peck says, "Well, no, you know, you'll be if you don't do this, you'll be demoted and sent back on a plane, a ship to Britain as a private." Yeah. And he's got no. And in fact, they even threatened to shoot him. Yeah. The laundry boy. Well, in fact, and the officer, I think, if he gets in the yeah, way. Yeah, if he gets in the way. And that's a real bonding moment for the group. They, they're they all sort of looking at each and realising that this is a tight-knit group. Mm. And I think there's a certain respect amongst the more junior members of the group to see that they're defying the authority of yes, yeah. the regular British Army and that who's they're sort special. It's sort of a type in this type of film where you'll get... The officer who hasn't seen experience and doesn't have the same down-to-earth the practical, yeah, <laughs> who everyone wants to go, um, you know, see get his comeuppance in some way. But there's a sort of poignance in the fact that Anthony Quayle is the one who says, "Have you got your gun? Shoot him!" Mm. And if the officer gets in your way, shoot him. Because yes. that's a sort of practical attitude. Yeah. But Anthony Quayle himself, or his character, is later, of course, we'll come to it. But later injured, and they have to have this discussion about him—a sort yeah. of practical. What do we do to him? Yes, good point, yeah. So you know that he'd take that attitude. Um, what would he take to his own situation later in the film? But we'll come to that. Now, I did think, what's the point, apart from it being a, a bonding moment, Yeah. and that is important, what's the plot point of the laundry boy, <laughs> boy, <laughs> he doesn't look <laughs> like a boy, <laughs> the laundry person listening to the door? Yeah. Is Is the... Because when um, Gregory Peck says, did you notice that the German officer spoke to us in English, is the intimation that the laundry boy... Has passed on information. Yeah. Uh, Although he was put in prison. Yeah. He was put under lock and key, apparently. So, and now there is a traitor in the group later, Mm. but not at this moment. Yeah. So... I don't. I, I don't really get the significance of. I, did you I, notice he spoke to us in English as if he knew something? Yeah, I assumed it was just a tactic on the Germans' part to try and take them off guard. Yeah, if they if they were. But then why would Gregory Peck mention that as a specific thing? Is it just? Yeah. Is it just to get the audience going? Oh, there's someone yes. to get suspicions. It probably is actually to get suspicions raised. So then, when the actual. Um, traitor is in the group. You, you, and you, you become aware that there's someone informing. Yeah. You don't necessarily suspect her because you've already been thrown off earlier. That's, yeah, that's yeah, probably that's it. true. Yeah. Also, of course, it adds to the air of danger and the fact that these people are having to be yeah. extremely watchful of every detail. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, back to the boat. Um, you, you were talking about the yeah. The ship I, I got the... slightly ahead of myself. <laughs> of course, this is another bonding moment where we actually see them in action for the yes. first time. Yes. Where the Germans come on board. And that um, they try to pretend to be Greek um, fishermen for as long as possible, and then they shoot the Germans. <laughs> then they blow up the German patrol ship, yeah. which is actually a Greek ship, Greek American ship. Yeah. <laughs> it turns yeah. out. Uh, and in the film, they of course let off some explosions, but apparently they um, let off explosions that were too big, <laughs> and they actually sank the boat, which they weren't meant to do. <laughs> yeah, which wasn't theirs; it was a uh, a Greek um, patrol. <laughs> Uh, boat and apparently they were quite upset <laughs> the Greeks yeah the Greeks were upset and in fact someone I think a Greek officer got into some yes, serious trouble yeah. and the cast actually wrote to try and say look it's not his fault it's yes. our fault but it didn't help so yes the boat actually sank it blew out the bottom of the ship which it wasn't supposed to and down it went so uh, also on the boat there's just they run into a storm and mm. I think this is a a fantastic part of the film. Oh, right. It goes on a bit, but I just think it's it's really tense. And I know this is the one I thought. I thought, oh yeah, they could just cut that. <laughs> I think you need. It can't be easy to get to the island, yeah. so it really adds some tension. And of course, um, Anthony Quayle 
gets injured on the ship. Yes, of course that is important. And then yeah. that causes him to get injured on the cliff climb, which leads to the whole, mm. you know, major part of the plot. So, of course, they could have just had him fall on the cliff, but because he already had an injury on the boat, so his head, yeah, um, and blood running into his eyes, that meant that he didn't just fall off the cliff through some in- ineptitude. Yes, yeah. um, it's because he was disabled already. That's yeah, true. But, but also, I think it's a fantastic scene. It's all filmed in the studio at Shepperton. And in a huge that, water tank, yeah. Yeah, the, this film won... It was put up for, I think, seven Oscars. Yes, yeah. And it won one, and that was for Best Special Effects. Yeah. And the, I didn't really think much of it when I watched it mm-hmm. just normally. I accepted it. But when I knew that, and started learning more about it, so yeah. the fact that this storm sequence was filmed in a tank in Shepperton Studios... I think it's incredible. <laughs> it looks amazing. Yeah. Um, now, of course, the poor old cast were battered about. Ah, David Lee- Niffen. Yeah. Yeah, you know about this. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he had a, a slight cut to his lip, apparently. Yeah, from, from this scene. Um, I'm not, yeah, well, oh, okay. certainly in this scene. But, yeah. um, so they were being dashed with water from this water tank, which apparently hadn't been... The water hadn't been changed <laughs> regularly enough, and it got quite dirty. Yeah. And David Niven... Um, got an infection through this cut in his lip that put him in hospital and almost killed him. Yes. Uh, apparently the uh, filmmakers had to have a, a discussion at one point to say, should we abandon the film because he's going to die or should we refilm all the bits where he's in it? Yeah. Apparently he got well enough to finish the film because this was actually filmed quite near the end of it. Yes. But he got well enough to film um, some his final scenes and then he relapsed for seven weeks in hospital God, yeah. <laughs> just from an infection through his lip yes. in this water tank that's amazing isn't it and I think there was some other accidents I think um, James Darren got caught the ship was, was on rollers or rollers something, yeah, so something yeah, to make yeah. it you know hydraulics or something make it toss and turn I think it was James Darren one of them got caught in that and had to be rescued I think Gregory Peck or someone else actually got pushed under and went right under the boat. Oh, my God. And again, yeah. if the ship had been at the wrong angle, it could have squashed him. So they were in this tank, I think, for six weeks filming. <laughs> um, and they really got pushed around. I don't know if that would happen now. No. Um, so, yes, I think it's an amazing scene. And at the end, this sort of tidal wave <laughs> comes in. Yeah. It takes its time, but and that, they just get off in time. Uh, and then it completely destroys the boat, so now yeah. they are stuck on the island. I mean, that's the other thing about that that's ship true, scene, yeah. is, is they can't now turn yeah, around. Yeah, there's no way back. Not that they would, but... And apparently all this was based on just one line in the novel, where <laughs> it said the ship ran into some rocks. Right. <laughs> there is one bit where the, sh- the ship actually gets pushed in, you, you, you're in the cabin with Anthony Quayle, yeah. and you see the window rushing up to a rock, and it smashes, yeah. and it really feels like it's going with some force. Mm. So that that whole scene, I, I really it felt it's done very well. Yeah. Yeah. So the next thing, they stand up on the shore, and then slowly they look up to these cliffs, oh. which are just sheer cliffs, which is where we need the human fly yeah. to get up. And he'd originally said, oh, you can't climb that. Yeah. And that's if he could pick the day, because of course now yeah. it's night time, and it's in the middle of a storm, and he's got to yeah. climb this cliff, yes. this sheer cliff. Yeah. Which, again, is a ver- another very good scene, I think. Yeah. Even though it's filmed, quite a lot of it, the classic sort of Batman yes. way, <laughs> uh, flat on the ground. Yeah. You wouldn't necessarily know that. No. I mean, you probably do. I think there's, for this point, certainly, it. I'm well enough into the into the film yeah. to not think, not care about what made the effects. Yeah, but it's to, very well done. Yeah. 
And there's actually three different setups for the cliff climbing. There's on-location shooting long shots where you've got a stuntman climbing an actual cliff. Yeah. There's studio where, yeah, they're climbing on a a set. Mm. But, again, it's so well done you wouldn't necessarily know. Um, And then there's matte paintings as well, so special effects. And, again, it's seamless. The whole thing is seamless. The studio to the location. You don't suddenly think, oh, God, that's changed. Mm. It deserved its special effects Oscar, definitely. Yeah. So um, they all get up, yeah. apart from Anthony Quayle, who's struggling because he's got it's raining, the blood's in his eye, and he goes to wipe his eye, and now with just one hand he slips down and he breaks his leg. Yeah. And he's rescued. So. Oh, they've already got rid of a German at the top of yeah, the... Yeah, German century. Yeah. <laughs> so this brings us to the first sort of moral dilemma of the film, mm. which is, I think, one of the things that... I wouldn't have been so interested in when I used to watch this, but now it becomes for me like the crux of the film. Yeah. Because you get moral decisions like, should we go and save these 2,000 soldiers? And it's not really a decision because you have to. You, you can't forget about that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, here we come to a decision which is sort of impossible to take, and this is the really character-defining decision. Mm. So Major Franklin, Anthony Quayle's character, is injured, and he obviously needs medical attention. Yeah. But they also have this extremely important mission. At first they say, we've got two choices. We can leave him here, because the Germans will find him, and by the rules of war, they'll look after him, because he's an injured soldier. Yes. Or we can take him with us, and he'll slow us down, you know. Mm. But then, of course, Anthony Quinn's character says, we've got a third option, which is we could just shoot him. Yeah. Because, of course, if the Germans do pick him up, they could get information... Yes. On uh, on the mission. Yes. Not just... And, of course, they say, oh, uh, uh, let David Niven... I almost called him Larry Niven, <laughs> who's the writer. Yeah. David Niven's character says he would never do that. But as a, a plot point for later, of course, Mallory, Gregory Peck's character, says, oh, they could give him truth drug, scopalamine. Yes. yes. And he would tell them, no matter what his scruples, so yes. he would yeah. endanger the mission. Yeah. But So this is a sort of three-way decision which is sort of impossible to make because there isn't the right decision, mm. you know. And, it's, and Gregory Peck kind of shows that he could do any of the three. Yes. But he does do the <clears throat> right choice. Yeah. I'll just say something about Gregory Peck and Anthony Quinn. There's always some tension yes, set up between yeah. them. Uh, this is back in the boat where Peck reveals that Anthony Quinn tells... Uh, sorry, Gregory Peck tells Anthony Quayle... Yeah. I, I need to remember their character <laughs> names. It's probably easier. But I'm using the actor names. That after the war he's going to kill him. Yeah. Because he let some Germans go, and these Germans then came back and killed Anthony Quinn's family. Yeah. And there's a there's a phrase he uses. He says, "Because of your sh- stupid Anglo-Saxon Anglo-Saxon decency, decency yeah." yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of a, you know, this this terrible um, burden that the British have for mm. uh, the Americans <laughs> is yeah. our is our decency. Yeah. You know, which the Germans obviously don't have. Now, that's well, a very a, black and white. There's a quote later on in the film where they say the only way to win this war is to get as nasty as the enemy. Yeah. Or to get nastier than the enemy. Yeah. But only then the warriors you wake up and find that you're even nastier than them. And yes. you're as stuck as that. Yeah. Which is sort of like problems throughout war films. I yes. Suppose. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's, uh, at least they address the issue. Yeah. But there is that kind of thing that. You know, the the British have got standards and the Germans don't, yeah. <laughs> which was not necessarily true. No. But uh, this is addressed in this film to yeah, some degree. Yeah. Um, okay, so so they decide to go and take Anthony Quayle yeah. on the stretcher. And one thing that um, 
Gregory Peck does. He says to Anthony Quayle, who of course protests, saying, oh, mm. you, you can't take yeah, me. Cool, I know, he's, he's British. Yeah. Of course he yeah. would. <laughs> Gregory Peck says to Anthony Quayle's character, oh, the mission's changed. We've heard that we don't need to get there. Well, We're this just is here a bit later, help. isn't it? Oh, so, is it? So they've, they've left yeah. because the, the phone goes. That's right, yeah. And it's the Germans. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, Greg Peck speaks um, perfect German yeah. and Greek. Um, so he pretends to be the soldier, but of course there's a code word, word or password that he doesn't use so the Germans immediately know there's something wrong yeah. the alarm goes off they know they've got to get moving yeah. and the Germans are on their way looking they know something's up now so they get up into the mountains and they go into a cave it's snowy mountains they get up into a cave some German mountain troops are coming up yeah. to them and well they've radioed back to the base to let them know the situation because their next step is to meet up with the resistance on the island, yes. and they think they can take over, looking after Anthony Quayle, get medical supplies. Right, right. Yeah. So while they're out with the radio or looking down at the Germans, Anthony Quayle has crept off, trying yeah. to to to, to, to do the honourable thing. Yeah. Yeah, and then they find him, and he goes to shoot himself, and he's stopped. That's right. And yeah. that's where Gregory Peck, yeah, Mallory right. tells him, "You don't need to. That the mission's off, old boy." Yeah. You know, um, he says, we don't have to do this anymore. They're landing troops on the other side of the island, mm. uh, which is a very... Turn- I don't think he thought of it then. That was purely to stop him Yeah, feeling worrying, bad, yeah. But it actually comes in very useful later as, yes, a, as a yeah. good plot point. Yeah. So the Germans are scouring the island. There's a great scene, actually. It's only a little one, but it's, it's an act where, where off they go and Anthony Quinn is left yes. shooting Germans. <laughs> but you see him... It's very good the way he takes out the leaders. Yes. He takes out the leader and he dies and then another one you can see him going come on men and then he shoots him. Yeah. <laughs> Actually there's one thing I noticed about this film even though it is a war film and at the end there are machine guns blazing. Yeah. Actually not many people get shot. Right. Or killed. You know obviously there's a huge explosion at the end but you don't see an awful lot of violence. Like now you'd see Germans mown down. I, I think this is in stark contrast to the other Alan McLean blockbuster where Eagles Dare, oh, because right. I think that's one of the films famously where it's got one of the highest body counts <laughs> right. for Germans. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know if it's the highest, but it's right up there. Mm. It's got a ridiculous number of uh, <laughs> deaths. And one thing I noticed noted down when I was watching the mountain scene is snow Germans. Yes, because <laughs> I always remember how I'd watch something like this. And I'd get excited about you yeah. know, like oh look the different know, yeah, uniforms, different and... uniforms or uh, equipment. They yeah, had, I yeah. love all that stuff. <laughs> Especially when I was a kid, I absolutely loved it. And you get all this stuff. Your action man and yeah, the, the different plastic soldiers. <laughs> it's weird how they just be they're dressing grey and then they're dressed in white and you think oh wow that's cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so they. They leave this place with Anthony Quinn. Yeah. Anthony Quinn and Anthony Quayle. You really have to keep on your toes, don't yeah. you? <laughs> um, one thing I will say about the cast, I know we already talked about it, but the quality, we've, I've already mentioned it, but if you did this film now, you'd have a lot younger actors. Yes, yeah. Uh, well, probably you would, but there's there's a gravitas about these mm. old actors. Old, I mean, you know, classic actors, perhaps more than old so they're not vying to step on each other's toes they each play their role and it complements the others it certainly seems like there's it, no yeah. sort of there's no one you feel as though has said I'm the star no. and I've got to be made the star you know I think I read that the director Jay Lee Thompson was very good at giving everyone equal close up mid shots and stuff like that so yeah. he was a very good politician for the actors yeah to keep to keep it fair and the other thing he did was a lot of rehearsals. 
for the scenes. And that made made sure that when they did the actual scene, everyone knew what they were doing, mm. where they were. Although it took longer because of the rehearsal, when he then did the shoots, it was all there. Yeah. The looks, the, the the business, the the movements. Whereas a lot of directors now, and even then, would want to shoot it, and then it wouldn't be quite right, so they have to shoot it again, and they yeah. try things on film. So actually it would end up being perhaps just as long or certainly more expensive. Yeah. Um, and also not... I think this film holds together really well. When you, I was thinking about some of the the, compos, um, yeah, the compositions of the frame mm. shots. I was thinking from a comic strip point of view, which is what I do, yeah. I was thinking, oh, that's fantastic. You get a hip <laughs> shot with a gun and then down to someone mid... And then also in the background, and you get three. So you get the action in the front. Yeah. You get the reaction from the character who was involved, and then the background reaction as well. And it's all going on. The looks between the characters. Yeah. Particularly in a later scene where they've been captured, eyes are darting around all over the place. But you're taking it all <laughs> in, and I think that's throughout the film. I think that's thanks to the rehearsals. Mm. Um, okay, so on with the plot. Yes. <laughs> um, next. They well, they meet up with the resistance. Is that the next thing? Yeah, they go to the ruin where they're going to meet up yes. with Anthony Quinn because, of course, he's separated from holding off the Germans. That's right. Yeah, they get there and they don't find Quinn. I'd say an amazing fact. Yes. that I found was amazing. Was they they use the these Greek ruins? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, what, what, I can't remember which ones they are now, but the the, the, right the beginning, right at the beginning, was the Parthenon. Oh, okay. Yeah. And Carl Foreman got the Greek authorities to take the scaffolding down, which yes. had been there since 1803. <laughs> I know. 1803. Yeah. And they took the scaffolding down so he could have a clear shot of it. Yeah, and that's, that's just for the prologue, wasn't it? Because yeah. this isn't the Parthenon. This is just okay, no, ruins. because yeah. that's got those big steps coming down, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So there's a location shot with some ruins, which mm. I probably should know what they are, but I don't. I think they're just meant to be... They're generic yeah. ruins. Well, yeah. well, they are obviously some ruins, <clears throat> um, which the Germans are... All running down, yeah. and, but then there's the studio shot when they're actually in amongst the rooms. Yeah, yeah. So this is where they meet with first of all Anna, although they don't know it's her. Yeah, they think it's a man. There's, so again, it's Anthony Quinn who hears something. Yeah, and starts signalling, and they 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 grab her. Though it's, it's fairly obviously a stunt man. Yeah, um, <laughs> very male. But of course, they want you to think it's a man, so it doesn't really matter. And they're very rough. They they knock. Knock a, this knock, person out. Yeah, not only knock them out, but then kick them to make sure they're not. Oh well, yeah, they they throw the person on the floor, yeah. clump, and then let's just make sure whack. Yeah, and then later they get turned over, and it's this. Yeah, well then Maria turns up with yes. guns. Yeah, and of course I think this is a great moment that David Niven pretends to be German. Yeah, ich bin ein German. He says, which is like proof that you're not German. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just what she needs because she's Greek uh, resistance. Yes. She wants to know they're not Germans. Yes. But then she says, "Oh, this is a terrible thing that it would happen to Anna that she should get beaten up because she has already mm. been captured by the Germans in the past and treated very badly." Yeah. To the point at which she can't speak. Yeah. Or won't speak. Anyway, she's obviously traumatized. Yes. She will. She won't show anyone the scars on her back yes. from the torture. Yeah. She won't let anyone see them. This is where the brother and sister meet up. Yeah. They obviously don't recognise each other. And in <laughs> yes. fact, when she says she's, um, and her name's Maria Papadimos, James Darren go, gives a shrug. What? what? <laughs> I don't know. There's loads of us, he says. <laughs> yeah, Papadimos is everywhere. Yeah. Well, I don't know her. Mm. It's his but sister. 
I'm it? surprised that's a little bit. Is that yeah. a stretch? I don't know when. Well, I thought it was because he wasn't even looking at her. Surely he'd recognise her. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how. I can't remember from the beginning of the film mm. when they talk about him how long he's been in America. But this is perhaps why I felt that he was a character who you didn't really need because this mm. is like the one scene so far that he's ever done anything and all that happens <laughs> is he gets slapped. Yes. <laughs> so she slaps him for not writing letters <laughs> and then they hug, of course. Yeah. Which is it was, actually, it makes a point about the war experience. You could go for an yeah. entire war and not know that a relative of yours was alive or dead. Yeah. And of course, some of them were announced dead and turned up alive. Mm. Poet Robert Graves said um, he was declared dead and they emptied his <laughs> bank account right. and he never got the money back. In fact, oh, and all his equipment was given away right. to everyone else in his regiment and yeah. he turned up alive and he said he couldn't get any of it back. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I was just with the anniversary of World War One at the moment. Yeah. I was looking at um, in fact, both of our, mm. as we're brothers, uh, <laughs> one of our ancestors who was killed in the war and... While researching him, I noticed that even a year after his death, mm. his parents were putting a newspaper article, um, newspaper notice in, asking for any news because all they knew was he was missing in action. Mm. So his, his body was never found. So that kind of horror of yeah. war, you're right. Is it a bit of a cliche, perhaps, that the first thing she does is slap him? It's that sort of um, Latin temperament. Oh, yes, yeah, you know. yeah. It gets away from the sentimental scene. There yeah. are all the national stereotypes can come out. Although well, they're not strong in this. Yeah. Um, but obviously, it is does come down to nations. You've got the Germans, and then you've got the yeah the, the Mediterraneans. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you've got the British and the Americans, and you can say each one is a certain character type. Yes. Yeah. Um, to start with, and then. It depends how good the film is as to how yeah. you know, off message they go, perhaps. So, yes, so now we've we've expanded the group. We've got the two resistance fighters and the Germans are scouring the island for them. Yeah. I think we go to the next day now where they, they're in the mountains above the Mandracos. town of Mandracos. Yeah. Yeah. And now they know that the Germans know that they're on the island and yes. are looking everywhere. Yeah. And they're hiding under some trees, aren't they? And we discover that uh, Anthony Quayle... Has got gang. Oh yes, yeah. So it just ups the stakes. Yeah, he really needs to get to a doctor soon. Yeah. yeah. If they don't amputate his leg, um, he'll die. Yeah. So yes, the doctor is needed. But um, so the, but the Germans discover their location. Yes. And yeah. they bring up the mortars. And yeah. Start firing on them, so they have to run off again. Oh, there is a scene where because of course the butcher of Barcelona, yeah. on the boat hesitated to kill a German. So there's now yeah. a question over him about how efficient he is as a yeah. killer. And he comes up to Gregory Peck and says, you know, I want to be... Because Peck questions him, says, yeah. you know, what happened on the boat? And kind of excludes him from the group a bit. Yeah. And um, in this scene, Danny Baker comes back up and says, you know, I'm, I'm ready, I'm, I want to be back in the group. Mm. And Peck kind of goes, well, we'll see. Yeah. You, you know, as if you have to prove yourself. So kind of slightly outcast from the group. But anyway, off they go again. They've got to run. And this time they're bombed by Stukas. Yeah. And I was quite impressed with this because I, I thought, oh, where did these Stukas, do they use actual Stukas? Do they still have them? Because mm. I'm always interested in these war films, where they get the equipment from. So right. we know that the Greeks supplied the tanks and the things, but actually a lot of those were American surplus sold to them. So it's it's not yeah. right, uh, technically correct for German mm. um, equipment. And then these Stukas, I thought, because oh, they, they have those. Were they still around flying them? 
I was very surprised to discover that they were models. Yes. And I, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's again how good these special effects are. Very well done. Yeah. Because I just assumed they were real. And I actually was Googling to find out. I couldn't <laughs> find anything. Eventually found the information. Um, there was one, uh, one little factoid about um, the person who gave technical advice on how the Germans would act and yeah. so on yeah. was the chief of staff to Rommel. Yes. <laughs> so it's odd to think... Um, you know, you think, oh yeah, they'd have had advice from you know, like the British Army and the American mm. Army, but of course, also you had the German Army and people from that um, chipping in. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and this wasn't just—I mean, he was a major. Yeah, you not, think not a major? Um, yeah, he was chief a, of staff to Rommel. You yeah, think that's, of him as a sort he was a major player on the German side. Yeah, but he did. Um, I mean, he, he was a prisoner of war for a couple of years right. after the war, but he did. He knew when the war was over. And mm. I think he went against the orders to keep fighting and told his men to surrender oh, when right. it was time. Oh, so he, he he was he had a humanitarian side to him. He wasn't one of these, yeah, you know, off, as often depicted sort of cold Nazis. Well, that's something we come to in a later scene, isn't it? Good Germans and bad Germans. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and throughout these films, that's but anyway, true. we'll come to that. Okay, so they get into Mandrakos, yeah, where they're going to find a dock. They split up into two groups. And I love the scene where they they get Anthony Quayle into the yes into the house. They're just sort of moseying along, horse and cart, gradually looking around. No one's there. Then suddenly, boom! Interaction. Yeah. Uncover the cart. Get out this man straight into the house. Straight into the hands of the yeah, Germans. Jim. I thought that was a brilliant scene because yeah. I wasn't expecting it. I've no. probably seen it before, but I'd forgotten it. Mm. Um, but it's very well done. And now there's the, there's definitely a mole. Yeah. an informant because how would they know exactly where they're going yeah unless they had Germans in every doctor's yes. study yeah. <laughs> yes, it's possible I suppose <laughs> but then the other the other group who still don't know that their colleagues are taken prisoner um, have to escape the where they've been hiding yeah and they decide to do that thing of hiding in plain view there's a Greek wedding going on yes um, so yeah. they go and sit in amongst them they escape across. from the house yeah. which is surrounded by Germans and go to the wedding party yeah, and you, there's this great bit. All the wedding guests that they look, they're looking. They know immediately. Yeah, that here's some strangers, and they're looking around, and then the Germans arrive, and there's furtive looks everywhere. Yeah, you're thinking this is one woman, you know, one couple's best day of their life type thing. Yeah. But um, in the you know, extreme danger being played out. Yeah. Um, um, and there's some music strikes up. Yeah. And here's where uh, James Darren gets yes, his yes, singing moment. Which I think it's a nice moment, actually. It doesn't mm. feel particularly out of place. And it's actually a kind of, oh, look, back to normality. For, yeah. you know, there's a war going on, but there's still these... Also, it, it, it reassures the people at the wedding that these people are one of them. Because yeah. they know their songs. If you know someone's folk songs, you're all yes. part of the folk. Yeah. But also, it's straight... I mean, a lot of Hollywood-type films, they almost all had a single, you know, a song. Right. Because even if you look at Dr. No... There's this weird moment in the middle, which is the first James Bond film, yeah. which is the next year. Yeah. There's a, a Calypso song in it, and, you, <laughs> and that feels a bit odd, because you're used to James Bond films being so, not serious, but, you yeah. know, you don't expect a song. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it seemed to be something which most Hollywood films would have. Yeah. You know, as something you could take away, you know, you couldn't buy the video, but you could buy the soundtrack, you know. And um, during the song... I think this is a fantastic scene where uh, uh, an old man gives flowers to a little girl and yeah. she's going to take them to the table. But at the same time, the Germans, Germans are marching. There's the sound of marching. The Germans are coming and it keeps cutting between 
the little girl with the flower, Germans, the um, wedding party, yeah. and our heroes. At the table. Yeah. And it's just fantastic. And it all it's all closing in on the table. Yeah. And then and the tension rises. And as the girl gets to the table, so does the Germans. A gun comes out. David Niven um, yeah. stops him from doing anything silly. And it's all boom. Yeah. And it's just the timing on that is fantastic. I wish you could do that in a comic. I don't know if you could. You, you probably could to some degree, but that's that. Yeah. That was just absolutely perfect film moment. I think. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and I think uh, in the sixties when this came out, that was the point of the intermission. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> I did have the option on my Blu-ray. Of oh, did you with an intermission? Right. <laughs> uh, oh, I've just got the DVD, and it just it just goes straight on. In fact, it fades to the next scene where they are now under the. They're all together yeah. again. With the German, they've been captured. Now, this, I think, is one of those films, the, one of those scenes you'll always have in a film where people go on an undercover mission. Yeah, there's got to be a point where they are captured oh, yeah. and questioned, and then they have to escape. Because yes. I was really thinking, how do they get out of this? <laughs> and this is first; they're under the um, uh, under the remit of the of the reasonable German. Yeah, the German. <laughs> there's, of course, the Germans have the army. Yeah. Who are just like an army, they still stick to rules and they all, yeah. you know, they won't shoot civilians, supposedly. But then, of course, you also have the SS, who are like, in film terms, are given given license to be as evil as, any, you know, yes. as anything. The, uh, the, I just got to a quote from this, which I don't know if this was the first time it was used, but the, the reasonable German officer, I think it's him, says, For you, the war is over. Yes, <laughs> which yeah. is one of those classic lines. I wish I, well, I should have looked into this. Was that the first time it was used? Uh, I probably was. Yeah. It became maybe it's just because the guns never ended so famous that it became one of those famous lines. Yeah. I don't know if it was then reused or you just imagine it was. <laughs> but it is one of those. Let's be reasonable. Yeah. You know, for you, the war's over. You can relax. Just give us the information. Yeah. Um, so he is being trying to be reasonable. Mm. Um, of course, they won't say anything. But then in comes the blonde, blue-eyed, <laughs> yes. emotionless expressionless SS officer. Who's prepared to torture anyone in yeah. any horrible way, it seems. Yeah. Now, is it before that that Anthony Quinn has already done his pretending to be just a Greek peasant and I'm not with these guys, you know, please don't shoot me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he's... I mean, that's quite a brave thing to do, really, because you can see the other people... But I like the way, uh, as he's doing it, the German officer is looking at his photo yes. in his <laughs> colonel's uniform. yeah. Which, of course, uh, increases the sense of danger. But also his colleagues, some of his colleagues are looking at him thinking, oh, he's just a coward trying to get out of it. Right. But you know, deep down, of course, he's a hero. So yeah, he's actually just trying to... Uh, and he is, of course, the one who does get them out of the situation. But not before the SS officer turns up. Just the, the German officers, the, the reasonable one is uh, Walter Jack Gottel. Hmm. And he was most famous for playing General Gogol in the... Bond yeah. films. Yes. And he was also in The Boys from Brazil <laughs> was with he? Gregory Peck. Um, and George Mikkel is the SS officer. Oh. And uh, he was in The Great Escape, which is another film we considered for the ten, yeah. but um, didn't fit in. And, of course, the Nazi, the SS officer, rather, is is not averse to using Anthony Quayle's gangrene leg yeah. to, as he rolls his pistol on it. Yeah, uh, he's in agony. a lot of pain, yeah. But Anthony Quinn gets them out of that by... Yeah. Um, his histronics and keeping them off guard uh, is able to able to overpower yeah. the guards. Grab a gun, everyone gets a gun, and they all leave. 
there's a great scene where they're getting to the German uniforms, and I love the way David Niven says, Hi, everybody. Yes. <laughs> He's trying it out. Oh, hi, hi. Um, but also, they all leave. Yeah. And the Germans are left tied up in their underwear with Anthony Quayle just lying there. I thought that's a slightly awkward moment. <laughs> He's got a cigarette. <laughs> there's a lot of. Um, Sharing of cigarettes amongst the men in this. Yeah, and, and well, it's a very David Niven lighting them for quail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of smoking in this film. <laughs> but there was back then, I suppose. And um, it's a very male bonding film, despite yeah. the fact there are two quite good female characters. Yeah. And there's real relationships between them. So Gregory Peck and Anthony Quinn. You know, it's almost... It's almost That's if one of them was a female, yeah. you'd have... so. You've got there's 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 a, a constant kind of plot device where a male and a female will go on an adventure together and they yeah. hate each other, but in the end they <laughs> fall in love. Yeah, you're right. And there's kind of that between Peck and Quinn, and then there's Niven and Quail, yeah. they're kind of a couple as well. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah. of course before they leave, um, Gregory Peck, knowing that they've got to leave Anthony Quail. He needs medical help. He then tells them... Now, what does he tell him? I can't remember. But he tells him... Well, he's already told him that the plans have changed. Yeah. I mean, does he... No, I can't remember what he says at that I point. I think he <laughs> says that... I know what he said. He says they're going to send ships to this island of Kiros. Yeah. But the other side or something. Well, he's already told him that, hasn't he? That's... No, before he told him... He said the Our mission's, mission's over. We've just got to contact the, the resistance and help them. But here he actually gives him a date for when the ships will be. Oh, so that's what he, he says. It's three time. days time. Or something. Oh, okay. Because now he's putting that mm. that plan into action. Because he knows now that Anthony Quayle is going to be quizzed. Yeah. And so he's got to give him something to give the Germans. Yeah. But he does it, telling him that it's the truth. Okay, and then they're off, <laughs> and there's um another fantastically funny scene where they're driving. <laughs> oh, now, yeah. now um, Maria is driving. Yeah. And they're really close to the edge of the cliffs. And you can see Anthony Peck and Quinn sort of furtively looking over the side. And she notices this and gives a little smile. Yeah. So that's funny. Then it's followed up by her attempt at wooing yes. Anthony Quinn. And just the hilarious thing about that, she's very factual about it. Yeah. Um, but there's Gregory Peck in the middle, kind of like yeah. a gooseberry. Yes. Um, <laughs> and Maria says, she ends up saying, I like you. Yeah. And the look that Peck gives Quinn is just <laughs> priceless. It's fantastic. Yeah. Real laugh out loud moment. Sir? Yes? No, not you, sir. Mr. Stavrum. Hmm? Tell me about yourself. What do you want to know? Are you married? I have been married. My wife and children were killed. Have you killed many people? Only Germans. Oh, some Italians too. Captain Mallory? Yes. You're a lucky man. Yes, I'm a... Mr. Stavro? Yes? I like you. I like you too. So then they go to this monastery when they hide out. This is another David Niven. Yeah. There's a big sort of moralising point. Not that it comes across that. It's very good. But he's not happy with Gregory Peck. Yeah, because Peck tells him, 
Well, I knew that the Germans were going to quiz Anthony Quayle, so I told them yeah. this, which yeah. is obviously untrue, which will give us an opportunity, because they'll be searching the rest of the island. It'll give us an opportunity to just walk into the gun. Because all the Germans will be on the other side of the yeah. island. Yeah. And, of course, David Niven is incensed. Yes, yeah. he says, do you know what you've done? By using Anthony Quayle like this, do you know what you've done? You've used up an important human being. Yeah, that's a great Because he says, no matter what happens to us, at the end of it, Anthony Quayle will feel as though he's betrayed us. And so he says, you know, he right. will be destroyed as a person. Yes, yeah. Even though I think one of the best scenes late, right at the end is where we find out that's not true. Yeah. Uh, but that's David Niven's point. But there's a lot of points about the war here, he also, <clears> as well as the human being... He also says, I don't care about the war anymore, and mm. I've done a hundred jobs, and not one has changed the course of the war. Yeah. And it is questioning this whole, you know, what's the point? Yeah. All this, you know, actual lives are being lost. But again, he says, well, what about the 2,000 men mm. we're going to save? And he says, but I don't know them, and I do know... Yeah, um, Major Franklin. Major Franklin, yeah. Actually, I think this is the thing that made, I thought was the most interesting point about this film. She's making quite an advanced point, I thought. <laughs> I mean, it's got a lot of people who are sick of the war, yes. which is the sort of point you think, oh yeah, it's good in a war film that you've got people sick of killing and so mm. on. But um, Gregory Peck's character becomes rises above that because you know he's sick of the war as well. Yeah. He thought at the beginning of the film that he was going to be um, I'll go and leave. released, yeah, yeah. But, and then he ends up in this. But he not only realises that you know, he's sick of killing, but he says, well, somebody's got to take charge, someone's mm. got to take responsibility. Mm. So that's me and he knows that he's not going to win all the decisions he make are going to yeah. hurt someone yeah but he says the job's got to be done otherwise yeah. we're stuck in this war forever yes yeah so that is a sort of point that rises above i think the we're sick of war thing yeah saying yes but but this is the situation yeah, we're in yeah we've got to deal with it yeah. otherwise you know we otherwise we just give in to the enemy exactly yeah which is i think quite a good point um yes it is it's a very good scene there's another one later that's Kind of got a key moment, but um, so they they sleep. Gregory Peck goes on watch, and there's this perhaps slightly strange scene where Gia Scala comes out, yeah, and he says, "You know, do you think I've done the right thing?" Gregory Peck says, and of course she just can't talk. We believe and just tears start running down. Yeah. I mean, it's fine because we know later that she's the traitor. Yeah, she's the one that's feeding information to the Germans. Of course, we don't know this now, and. The snog. There's a snog in the film. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, no, it's nothing, there's nothing more than that. I think it's just she shows sympathy. Perhaps this is showing her conflict that mm. actually she's realising or wondering what she's done wrong. Yeah. Or maybe that doesn't matter, but she still feels sympathy and something for him. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and then they're off again in the vehicles. Yeah, they capture and, another German vehicle. And they look back and they see... Mandrakos is being burnt yeah. as punishment. So again, yeah. it's the consequences of their actions. Yeah. And people are evacuating and their ho homes are being destroyed. Now, one thing I think was a bit odd is that when they throw the their old vehicle off the edge of the cliff, mm. they put in a grenade and it explodes. Right. I think surely that's like saying to the Germans, oh, we're over here. <laughs> oh, that's a good point, yeah. yeah I didn't why think Why don't they just shove it off the Did edge of the cliff? Did they put in a grenade in? I was watching I thought it, it was just a case of um, it going off a cliff and, you know, it doesn't really explode. But Before it goes, it looks like David Niven throws something through the window. Uh, and I assumed that was a grenade. You know? why, yeah, I mean, what's the point? You're right. Not only the sound, but yeah. the smoke. 
So off they go, and they they coming. There is it's never in the island or the town where the guns are. It's the island. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, they come to the town where the guns that surrounds the point where the guns are, and a lot of it has been abandoned because the guns, the vibration from the guns, is has um, weakened a lot of the buildings. Mm. And they get in, and there's this other scene where they discover... Well, the the David Niven's equipment has been destroyed Sacked and rendered out. useless. Yeah, yeah. Not the actual explosives, but his timing devices, I think. Yeah, yeah, his timing devices, yeah, and the clock and his fuses or something. Yeah, yeah. the time... We call them time <clears throat> pencils or something. I yeah, think. he does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so he says, one of us is a traitor. Yeah, and they realise who it is. Yeah. And they prove it by... Ripping off her top, yeah, and seeing her naked back, and there's no scars. Yeah, so she there hasn't no been scars. tortured, supposedly, yeah. or not, not as she has not claimed. But That's yeah. a good way of doing it, actually. When you've got that problem in a story <clears throat> where you've got to prove something, and that can be done by showing yes. something rather than an explanation. So through that action, they, they we've already they planted the idea of the scars and how it's traumatized her. Then you then you see there are no scars in, yeah. in quite quite um, the key scene. Yeah. And of course, again, we get these three points. What do they do? Yeah. David Niven says, well, as far as I, the way I see it, there's three things we can do. Leave her. Well, anyway, yeah. the third one again is to kill her. Yeah. And this time Gregory Peck's going to eventually... Because he's taking responsibility. He thinks, well, there's only one person who can do it, isn't yeah. it? And this is one of those points where I thought, oh God, what's going to happen? Because you can't have him kill her. It's just one of those rules in a Hollywood film that uh, a man can't kill. Yeah, it would, a woman. It would blemish his character yeah. too much. And in fact, of course, he's got off the hook because Maria kills him. Yeah, which is one of those uh, things. I kills her. It was a perfect solution. Yeah, it's a horrible situation. Yeah, but it's you know. Hollywood... Well, and she has been. She feels probably the most betrayed. I yeah, mean, we don't know their history, but yeah. obviously she knows all. Of, you know, they've they've been together for a while. So, mm. but uh, that's war, eh? Yes. <laughs> But yeah, pretty pretty brutal moment, and it is it is very grim. Maria looks her expression is fantastic. Yeah. It's 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 kind of I mean it is excellent acting actually. She's kind of expressionless, mm. yet everything is etched into the, her disappointment. The fact that she's had to make herself cold to do this, she mm. isn't cold. Yeah, um, but she's had to, you know make her steal herself to do it and and there's not really any words after that and yeah. yet it's the whole acting mm. again the sort of looks and the, for a lot of the scenes in this film not a lot but there's there's quite a few key scenes where there aren't words mm. and it's not needed with the caliber of these actors are very good but also it works because you've got not close-ups on each face mm. but you see a lot of people at once yes and yeah. So, yeah yeah you're aware of the group tensions rather than each individual's private feelings yeah. in that scene before she gets shot there's another kind of key question asked by David Niffen which is he says you know who is guilty um, is it the man who gave the order or the man who gets his hands dirty carrying out the mm. order and I think that's key point in war Yeah. so not only in war films but actual war and of course that came out after the war who is responsible for the atrocities yeah. or any action because someone gives the orders but doesn't do it, yeah. and someone does it. So who's the more guilty? Is it the person who did it? And this comes out in things like the Nuremberg trials and, and you know the whole Nazi hunting thing. Mm. There's that whole question of, well, you shot these people in cold blood, but you gave the order. Mm. You know, there's the there's the defence. I was only following orders. Yes, it's not usually. I think now 
allowed as a defence. Oh, right. But can you imagine being in that situation? Mm. Well, I mean, we never will be, let's hope. <laughs> but where someone gives you... If you don't, you're probably, you might be killed, put in prison. Yeah. Something could happen to your family. So you kind of have to follow the orders. You have to go along with it. You can find yourself doing terrible things, probably. Yeah. But you probably there's probably some cognitive dissonance or something. You cut yourself off. Well, afterwards, you justify it to yourself. Maybe, yeah, yeah, or maybe you just feel terrible about yeah. it. But still, the, there's the person who gave the order. So that's a key question, I think. Mm. Who is guilty? Yeah. Um, and I think that really gets to the, the heart of yes. a lot of the yes. questions a war film would ask, and yeah. this one as well. Now, Miller, you know that when you put on a uniform and learn how to do it, it's not hard to kill someone, anyone. Sometimes it's harder not to. You think that you've been getting away with it all this time, standing by. Well, son, your bystanding days are over. You're in it now, up to your neck. They told me that you're a genius with explosives. Start proving it. You got me in the mood to use this thing. And by God, if you don't think of something, I'll use it on you. So now we're into the last act, where yes. they're approaching the actual guns. And of course, the Germans have taken the bait and are largely... The main force has gone to the other side of the island expecting an attack. I think it's a brilliant scene where Gregory Peck and David Niven drive into the the sort of fortress. Yeah. All the tanks and things are coming the other way and he quickly goes in Follows and he actually bashes point. into a tank at yeah. one point. Yeah. So I think it's so good. And they're both going, oh my god, we might have just ruined the mission by some bad driving. <laughs> they stay calm, don't yeah. they? And, you know, there's some bad-tempered German says, oh, get over there. And it's like the perfect way to get in. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, by being yeah, almost by making way. noise, yeah. it lets them through. Yeah. So there's a bit of they're in the the lair now, and this is another classic thing about war films: is the Germans in the the old Gothic castle. <laughs> yes. Uh, of course, the, there are a lot of forts and things on roads because yeah. it was that kind of island, so it's uh, it's yeah. justified. But it yeah. is a sort of castle Wolfenstein yeah. type thing. <laughs> it's just like I say, James Bond it ends in an underground base or yeah. something. There's something I think primal about it that it's got to end in. A, Yes. Yeah. <laughs> now, Anthony Quinn and James Darren characters have gone off yes. to provide and, a diversion. And Butcher Brown. Uh, yes. Easy to forget. Well, he's gone with the girls <laughs> to get the boat. Oh, yeah. So, well, only one girl. So the girl, yeah. So yes. Maria and Butcher <laughs> have gone off to get a boat. Of course, yes, yeah. Quinn and Darren have gone to machine guns and Germans <laughs> uh, and throw grenades at them. Yeah. And Gregory Peck and David Niven are doing the actual business of getting into the guns, mm. the gun enclosure. So, well, Anthony Quinn and, and James Darren just have... I mean, uh, James Darren is killed yeah. on a submachine gun off with, yeah. a, with a German. <laughs> I don't know, it wouldn't last that It's long. a waste of his life, really. Why is he... He just He's just like... He's got yeah. almost tunnel vision. Something takes over. Well, I think quite often in this sort of film, you'll get rid of all the characters who aren't absolutely necessary yeah. at the end, because, you know... Well, you're it's part right. of the truth of the situation. I mean, he's pretty much the only one, actually. Yeah. Uh, and Butcher Brown, who... Oh, that's true, yes, of course. It's another character who hasn't... I mean, he did have a bit of a sort of journey in that he started off saying, I'm sick of killing, and then tried yeah. to get back into it. But actually, he, yeah. he failed, didn't he? He still... Yeah. He hesitated. He then did kill the German. This is on the boat. But the German gets him as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, he ends up dead. And this is another thing... Again, in maybe I mean certainly in Where Eagles Dare, and I don't know if I'm imagining it in other films, but the Germans in there, they're just listening to the radio, um, <laughs> and while the the heroes are 
yeah. get into the base and silently killing them. Yeah. But they get in, and now it's just they close the the doors and lock them from the inside. Yeah. Um, Which sets off an automatic alarm. Right. Which I thought at first, that's quite good, because something they weren't expecting, and it alerts yeah. the Germans immediately. But then I thought... So the time is ticking. Yeah. Why would the Germans put an alarm on this? Well... Because then they... Because at the point the alarm goes off, the Germans arrive at the get, the door. They can't get in. So what can they do about it? Well, well it alerts them that someone's yeah. gone in unauthorised. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So they lift down to the guns, and it's just getting the... Yeah, massive and, guns. <laughs> yeah, absolutely huge. Um, and there were several models made of these guns mm. of various scales, including full size, of course. Yeah. And they are very impressive. Yeah. Yeah, they look real. And David Niven has got a very good plan. He doesn't just place explosives because he thinks... He says, well, they're going to find them. Yeah. But he places some other explosives below the lifts that will be activated by the lift. Yeah. And which will also blow up all the, um, the shells, the shells yeah. which will definitely see to the end of the guns. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So the Germans are, are at the gate with their... You know, yeah, flame uh, torches, what they're called, um, uh, welding torches or whatever, yeah, trying to get through. Um, and this is another one of those uh, clock ticking scenes. Yeah, the ships so are coming the through, whatever. Yeah. The British ships are coming through, the Germans are at the gate, and they're racing to get the, the explosive set. Also, um, th- this film quite often compared to Hitchcock, and I think Hitchcock is one of those directors who's influenced film, particularly this sort of suspense film, so much that you don't really notice it. Right. But one of the things that Hitchcock would do would say, would point out to the audience, this is something that's got to happen. Right. <laughs> um, and in this case, it's David Niven saying, right, I've put the, the explosive so it'll, it'll explode when the lift comes down to this point. Right, I see. It, for some reason, he says, it'll, it'll won't happen the first time, it'll probably happen the second time. Right. Um, so <laughs> you're looking at that thinking, that's got to happen. Right. And every time it doesn't happen, you, the, the tension, tension rises, goes up. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it is kind of... I never thought of that. Yeah. It's Hitchcockian sort of thing. So, yeah, they and they, they leap off. Yeah, and they get out. They get out, just as the Germans come in. And there's a great scene where the Germans are all over the place trying to find the... Bombs they know are there. The explosives. Yeah. And my favourite bit is where they find the rat. Yes. So it's a fake rat with an explosive shoved in inside. Yeah. And he gives it to a German who's holding it with these pincers, and suddenly yeah. it goes off. I mean, it's just a decoy, I yeah. think. Yeah. And it, it goes... And the, <laughs> the look on his face. When it goes out, the German left lets out a, a breath of steam, and you can yeah. see that's another funny moment. Yeah, he's just so relieved that he didn't get his head blown off. So the Germans now think they found the explosives, mm. and in fact, they get two shots off at the yeah. British ships, enough to make them start to move away. Mm. Um, but yeah. Our heroes, meanwhile, have got to the boat. Yeah, yes, the heroes get to the boat, so they're joined up again. Quinn, Maria, Heck. Niven. Yeah. That yeah, that's it. Just those yeah. four, yes. I think this is an amazingly tense ending. Because yeah. you're really thinking, it's got to happen, it's got to blow up, but it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's only the rule of three again. That right. It takes three times for the lift to go down. But there's down. so many cuts between the different elements yeah. that, as you say, the tension rises and rises each time. But so, yeah, on the third go, Jesse says, fire. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and this is when you get the shot of Anthony Quayle who hears the explosion, knows what it means. Yes. And this is where he's sort of... David Niven's saying, you've ruined a human being. This is yeah. where we show that he isn't ruined, because he realises that the mission... Has worked. Yeah, it was yeah. successful. That is a very satisfying moment, mm. where you see him in the hospital bed. So he's he's been... His war is over. Yeah, yes, for him <laughs> the war is over, and the mission's been completed. Yeah. And they all get on the boat, um, and then onto the ships. By the way, these ships... 
is what I call a Dalek noise. It's <laughs> what are those? I've always meant to look it up, and I never have because I've heard it in other films like. Um, I assumed it was just what's that David Lean one in which we serve or something with, no. with um, Noel Coward. Oh, Noel Coward, yeah. Yeah, there's. I always assumed it's just the ship's alarm, you know. But but they're doing it in sort of celebration. Anyway, I just so, wondered what the actual noise was for. I must yeah. look that up sometime. Yeah, but do, do the Daleks make a noise like that when they get really excited? I don't know much about as much about Doctor Who as you did, so I thought yeah. I'd ask you. But um, maybe maybe I'm imagining it. But I wondered if there was a conscious thing for the Dalek creators or whoever came up with that noise. They, if they were influenced by the British, yeah. I can't think of the uh, the noise. I do. I did watch the Dark Invasion of Earth recently. Yeah. And the scenes of the Daleks going around London, and they've all got their sink plungers extended <laughs> to the fullest, and they lift them up in a Nazi salute. Oh, right. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were quite consciously uh, Nazi. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. So only one one plot strand remains, which is. Uh, the tension between Quinn and Peck. Yes, because he's going to kill him when the war's yeah. over. But I was expecting some words, but it's all done pretty much with a yeah. look. Well, of course, he's going off with Maria. Yeah, he's and got... there's another scene earlier where he's shaving, and she's watching. Yeah, and you know, there's a moment between them. She approves and of course, of earlier scene. we've had that I like you. Yeah. So he's perhaps got some of his life back. Yeah. From that terrible trauma of his family, mm. uh, and of course, th- there is another moment going right back to the beginning where. Anthony Quinn saves Gregory Peck from falling off the cliff. And yes. there's that tension because we know he says he's going to kill him when the war's over, but yeah. he saves him. He could do it now. But, uh, so they've been through this adventure together mm. and they come through it and they're resolved. Yeah. And yeah, they're on the ship and they're going to save the men. And there's a great, I always like to see a nice World War II duffel coat. <laughs> yes. They've got at the end, they're each duffel wearing one. Scene. Yeah, it's the duffel coat scene where, you know, never the know. cough, well, the cigarettes again, of course, but the, yeah. <laughs> you can relax and have a cup of tea or whatever yeah uh, yes that's Guns of Navarone um, yeah uh, anything else in summation I think we've covered a lot of stuff there I think this is one of those films that I've been familiar with the long, for a long time but I've only just watched you know I feel as I, I sat down and watched it and so now I've finally got the detail of it because of course I watched it as a kid yeah. and I would have just been interested in the action scenes yeah and it is just a good film mm. on the face of it but, it but certainly looking into it I've, I appreciate it a lot more it was the highest grossing film of 1961 oh right yeah, yeah. So it was very successful and again the, the special effects which it won an Oscar for don't haven't really dated yeah, there's mm. a couple of scenes where there's back back projection is, is the most dated thing in most of these films yeah. and there is a little bit of back projection and some um, of the models you're aware of like water doesn't miniaturize, and you can see the waves are a bit big. Not too it, bad, though. Yeah, no. I didn't particularly notice that. And as I said, the planes were fantastic. Uh, it's very well done. The map yeah. painting. Now there was going to be. They were going to. Um, everyone was going to get back together to make a sequel called After Navarone. Oh yes, yeah. Um, but that didn't happen. But as you say, Aston McLean wrote a sequel, and that was more to the film than his first book. Mm. But then uh, Force Ten from Navarone, and that eventually got made. Was that, it the 70s or something? Yeah, 1978. So a year after Star Wars. And I say that because Harrison Ford was in it. Oh, right. Um, Harrison Ford. And Mallory, who was Gregory Peck in this one, yeah. was played by Robert Shaw. And Miller, who was David Niven in The Guns Never Own, was played by Edward Fox. Oh, right. And then the other main character is was played by Franco Nero, as, and he played Nikolai. Now, I when I saw the basics of it, I thought he was playing what was the Andrea character. Yeah. But Nikolai, the only person called Nikolai is the laundry boy. <laughs> and it turns out Nikolai is, 
is now turns out to be someone called Cap- Captain Lescovar, and they go after him or something. I haven't seen the film, oh, so right. I don't know. But is that is that the laundry boy turns out to be this big thing, <laughs> Mastermind. or is it a different character? <laughs> yeah. But the only person called Nikolai is the laundry boy in Guns of Never Own. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so that was made in seventy eight. Um, it didn't do quite so well. Yeah, right. uh, I've never seen it. I'd, I'd be surprised if I do, unless it's yeah. by accident. Yeah. But yeah, Guns of Never Own, excellent film. Do you see it? Now we've spoiled it for you if you haven't seen yeah. it. <laughs> okay, so what film are we seeing next? Well, next we're leaping into the future war-wise. Not yes. our future, but uh, the next, not the next major war, <laughs> um, but uh, the Vietnam War, is it? Yeah, so Platoon we're doing next, which... Again, a lot of these films, although I've seen maybe mm. once or twice, I'm not as familiar. For instance, Raiders of the Lost Ark, I've seen goodness knows how many times. Yes. <laughs> um, and mostly adventure films, I've seen a lot. These I've seen a few times, but I'm not as familiar. So, yeah. And I don't know a huge amount about the Vietnam War. There is a disproportionate number of World War II films in the 10. Yeah, I think that's what I meant, though, when I said war Well, it's films. what you tend to think of, and it's it's still an obsession of the British, which is interesting. Perhaps yeah. we'll talk about that a bit as we as we go through. But I did try for some diversity. We could have done more. There's, there's, oh, yeah. there's all kinds of wars, mm. um, which would have been interesting to do. But anyway, so this has been the Guns of Navarone uh, in our war, first of our war film podcast. Please let us know what you think, um, either about just this film, the podcast, or any other war films that you like. You can leave a comment on the blog. Uh, there's links to buy the films on DVD on our blog, and also to follow us on Twitter. So you can let us know what you think there. So this is Garen signing off. And Murray. And we'll see you next time. Bye.